Welcome to Empowered Leadership. We share candid conversations with successful leaders about what it takes to cultivate the leadership, life, and legacy you desire, and to do it with confidence, ease, and joy. I'm your host, Alexandra Reese. And today I'm joined by Brian August. Brian is an executive at Oregon Humane Society, where he first served as chief operating officer and now serves as chief financial officer. But Brian is not your typical CFO. As you'll note from our conversation, Brian's focus expands far beyond the numbers. He's one of those rare leaders who really truly understands that business results come when you focus on people and culture first. And I speak from experience when I say, Brian walks the talk. I partnered with Brian to develop OHS's last strategic plan. And through our engagement, I really appreciated Brian's ability to create a culture of curiosity, safety, kindness, and drive within his team. It really made the difference in the quality of the plan we created and the results they were able to drive. Prior to joining OHS, Brian spent nearly two decades as a strategy and operations leader in a diversity of industries, from aerospace to wine and spirits, consumer products, and now nonprofits. And outside of work, Brian is an accomplished triathlete, having completed not one, but 13 Ironmans. Stay tuned to the end of this episode to hear more about that experience and what he learned about leadership from 13. All right. Thank you so much. Enjoy the episode. All right. So I'll just start by asking, how's it going today? It's going well today. Wonderful. Enjoy Saturdays. It just creates some space to do things that during the kind of the bustle of the week, you often don't get uh, the opportunity to have. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm doing this program called Flow Performance uh, by Jamie Wheel. And one of the things that we're bringing into it is a Sabbath and Mm -hmm. a Sabbath practice. So something I've started doing is turning off my internet for part of the weekend and doing an extended meditation just as an opportunity to do a bit of a reset on the weekend. Well, One question I always like to start with is, given the name of this show, Being Empowered Leadership, I'd love to hear your perspective on what does empowered leadership mean to you? Yes, and in full disclosure, you gave me that question in advance, so it doesn't actually make it easier to answer that when you're asked. What I keep coming back to is that creating opportunity or choices. So when we talk about leadership, for me, there's, there's things that you do, there's actions you take, there's people you develop. But when I think of empowered leadership and the differential there is how do we create different choices for us as leaders? So one of the, one, I think the best tools to keep in your, your arsenal, so to speak, of, of leadership is when you are able to create multiple choices from a situation where it seems like you've been backed into a corner. You only have one direction or tendency to make things binary, particularly choices. I think empowered leadership is saying, is there, is there an opportunity? And given your analogy you just had, is there an opportunity to step back, get to the top of the mountain, look around and say, are there other things we're missing? Are there other ways we can approach this? Can we look at this problem differently such that we we take it out of the binary and say, there's a range of things that we can do. Um, how do we focus on what is possible versus the things that we, we can't? Yeah, I love that idea of creating choice. 
especially in recognition of the fact that as humans, we tend to be hardwired to see uh, yes and no, right, wrong, this or that. We tend to see things in binary choices. I think in principle, we would all agree that's a great thing to do in practice, especially when we're stressed out. It can be really hard to do that step back and open the aperture to create choice. I'm curious, how do you do that? And what might be an example or two to bring that practice to life for people? Yeah, well, so I think what I go go to first is emotional intelligence. And when we think about us as a as a being, as a creature, you know, we developed these kind of these tendencies to do binary things, to really kind of focus in on just a few options in really times of of danger. And whether that was the proverbial tiger in the grass or the person lurking over the cubicle wall, the boss is going to stop by and you're like, I don't want to get cornered by them. And I think that the first thing is understanding how emotions work and how they can hijack uh, all of the the ability to step back and look at things and, and create those choices. So I think the, the first step of that is really understanding your own feelings, what may trigger them, and then what what things you need to do to understand those feelings in a way that allows you to de-trigger yourself so that you can involve uh, the logical part of your brain and really think through is this is this really is this really what I'm seeing? Are there other things? Are there people I can bring in that can help? And so for me, um, that self-awareness is what I would say is is really the key to unlock this. If we're not really aware of the of what we're feeling, what we're experiencing, it's really difficult to settle down enough to look for those options and to think through all those different choices that may be available to us. I'm trying to think of different situations where that could apply. And I'll give you a personal example where earlier this year, my I was uh, told that my role was being uh, eliminated. And so the natural tendency is sort of fight or flight or freeze. So it's like, well, blame the other person, blame whatever. Uh, what am I going to do? How am I going to provide? What's my security situation? Am I going to be able to retire eventually? All those things can go through your head. And what at least the work I've been able to do the last several years, particularly I've been able to do is just step back, reflect on what I'm feeling without, without judging it. There's, there's mm-hmm. the fear because you get into uncertainty. My job's being eliminated. The world that I knew, the identity that I've spent the last six plus years building is going to be no more. And just getting your arms around that and saying, one, I'm afraid. I don't know what's next. Two, I'm sad because I've poured my heart and soul into this. And that has a tendency to re- be reflected in our identity. And then three, maybe a little bit angry. And understand that's these are all anger is not a bad emotion. It it tells you you need to change something, and whether you choose to change something or whether someone puts you in a situation where the choice is made yeah. for you. Because by processing those emotions and understanding what each of those mean, because we we tend to experience emotions, multiple emotions at the same time. It's usually not one emotion. But what that allowed me to do as I processed through that was to bring in excitement. The, under all this was, well, now there are other things that are out there. There are other things that I may want to do. And I now have the opportunity to explore that and see where that goes. If you are 
subject to your emotions, if you're letting your emotions run your response, it's really difficult to get to that. By bringing that excitement in, I can see there, there are a number of opportunities that I can pursue. There's a number of organizations that actually have reached out and said, hey, we, we heard you're leaving. Would you be interested in this? And that's been really exciting and really interesting to pursue. But you, you have to go through the emotions. You have to process them. You have to recognize you're going to you're going to receive some emotions that are really uncomfortable and you have to you have to acknowledge them yeah i your explanation and your example i think encapsulate perfectly the importance of uh, focusing first on self leadership as a leader because if we can't develop awareness of how we're feeling why we're feeling that way work through it grow from it How can we expect to be able to show up, particularly in stressful situations with our teams, our organizations, our families, and do so in a way where we can be that calm presence, that that person who helps the group to step back as a whole and look, we've got to bring that energy into the room. That is such a great way to frame that up. I love how you said self-leadership, because that's really what it ends up being is if you can't do that for yourself, you're going to really struggle to do that for teams, for organization, for family, for friends. And, and as empowered leaders, that, that's what we want to bring. That's what we want to have happen at the table. Yeah, I did a, another interview with the person who was actually my first coach, Tracy Hooper, and something she shared that just blew my mind. And my, you may know this. If not, I'm sure you'll find it fascinating when we're in a group environment, if we change our breathing, we can change the breathing of the entire group that we're with. Wow. So just by having that self-awareness and self-management and self-leadership to be able to walk into a challenging situation in control of ourselves, fully present and aware, if we can do that, we can take that deep grounding breath create that pause just by showing up ourselves in that way, we can start to change the energy of the room. I did not know that, but that is, it makes a lot of sense. When we think of some of the most inspirational leaders we've worked with, and you get into a stressful situation, and they become the anchor point. They become the point of calmness, not that they're minimizing the challenges that we're facing, or not that they're minimizing the problems that we may have, but that they're their ability to take us up that mountain, their ability to take us to have a to take us have us take a step back and to look at the situation to truly make sure that we are considering all the options available to us, not just the readily obvious ones, to bring different voices into discussion, even voices that may not uh, normally be comfortable bringing those in. Those are the outstanding leaders that really are have a unique ability to guide organizations through their most difficult times. Who comes to your mind when you think about that archetype of an an astounding leader? I could mention some of the leaders that I've worked with personally. I don't know if the, the if your listeners or viewers will know them. There was a gentleman I worked with at uh, when I was at Gallo Wines named Robert Lubeck, and he was absolutely amazing. And just I, I watched him in really difficult situations, whether it was an employee situation, whether it was an outside lawsuit type situation or an operational issue or strategic challenge just there was a calmness that radiated out from him that that it didn't diminish the challenge that was in front of us 
but it almost empowered everyone around him to say, we have the people here to solve this problem. Let's get to work. And that that really strikes me. That's really, I think, the the gist of the the empowered leader that's that's truly effective is the the ability to do that. I'm trying to think of a of a of a public leader that really incorporates those those aspects. And I'm I'm drawing a bit of a blank right now. It's an interesting world out there looking at those leaders that can really rally people to respond well to in situations like that by not minimizing the problem, exuding a sense of calm, and really calling their people to respond to the situation. Does anyone come to mind for you? The way President Obama presented mm-hmm. himself come that that's the image that came into my mind as you were speaking about the leader you worked with at the what was his name who worked at the winery uh, Robert Lubeck Bob Lubeck Bob Lubeck winery yeah yeah I recall during the great recession when it felt like the world was falling apart or the foundation was literally crumbling beneath our feet having a president who was able to get on camera be very calm, look you in the eye and say, I don't know what all the answers are, but I have faith and I know we have the knowledge and the ability together to move through this. Yeah. That, that's I mean, how really, powerful. That's a powerful example of, of grace under pressure. I love that example. And one thing I think is worth highlighting in both those stories is that great Great leaders don't always have the answers. And especially in times that we're in, like right now, where there continues to be a lot of uncertainty and turbulence, great leadership is not about saying, I know where we're going. I know how we're going to get there. Just follow me. It's about being able to say, I don't know exactly all the details. What I do know and what I do have certainty in is this team. What I do know is when we follow our values and live by them, we can do this together. What I do know, da 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 da. And it's being able to create that certainty and that sense of calm by anchoring in on what you do know. And that's about how you can work together as a team to get through it. As you're saying that, it struck me one, I really, I have a strong affinity to what you said. And then as you're saying that, I was thinking through situations where, there's leaders that take the time to define the facts and mm-hmm. then set up an opportunity to say, we get to choose how we respond. And this is how I choose to respond. So it's separating out circumstances uh, from experience. So circumstances of the economy is taking a dive, mortgage rates are going up, interest rates are going up. There's international comp, all these things. These are things that are not in our control. These are things that are happening. What we do with that that's the thing. That's the experience part. That's the what we're in control. And those great leaders say, here's what I know. And here's how I know we can choose to respond. So they're able to, to rally people around, to, to bring them out of the, the woe is this circumstance and more into, we've got some options here. I need your help to figure out what's going to be the, the most likely to help us be successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Pulling out of information and bringing information into the room is, I think, a really important point today. I see a lot of leaders, especially when we're in the strategy room together, 
uh, wanting to make decisions based on gut or intuition or a quick conversation because they think, well, everything's uncertain. Let's just move forward and move forward quickly. And my response is always your gut and your intuition is based on making decisions around past experience. That's what you're doing, which Mm -hmm. serves you when the circumstances you're in, to your point, are like the past, go with your gut. When the circumstances are different, you've got to bring that information into the room to inform decision-making, and you've got to have some facts. Otherwise, you're unlikely to, to end up going in a direction that serves you. I see you laughing. What's coming to mind for you? <laughs> well, it's, 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 so as you're saying that, I'm thinking of all the situations where, whether myself or for leaders, we talked about the the EQ and uh, emotional intelligence and no, and the proverbial tiger in the grass and that our intuition, I like that you didn't dismiss it. You said it's a, it's a piece of it and our intuition can serve us well, but it's also, it's a shortcut. So by its nature, it allows for a fast response. However, that's why we get to the binary, the quick choice of like this or that. If the circumstances are exactly like what we did before and whatever it was we did worked, that's great. Why I was laughing is I was trying to think about where the circumstances are exactly the same. Because chances are you're in a situation, you're in a scenario, and the circumstances are always at least slightly different, if not completely different. You've got different players involved. You have different external circumstances mm-hmm. involved. You have different resources you can bring to bear. So, so I'm going back to the the intuition piece is a really important part. It's almost It's almost that early warning system. And then how do you then use that to pay attention to your emotions? What are you feeling? Is it fear? And if that's the case, usually for, for me, at least when I'm in, when I have a fear, it's because there's an unknown component somewhere. And my, yeah. my first now learned response, my first kind of deliberate response is I'm like, definitely experienced fear here. I need to go out and get more information. I'm not sure. I have enough information to really make the best decision possible. And that allows me to bring in kind of the logical part of my brain, the thinking part to, to really say, you know, who else is really good at this or who else has faced something like this before? What are the resources we have available? And you start getting into that logical part of your brain that's really great at solving complex, difficult challenges, but it's not fast. Mm-hmm. So, it's a balance of all these. And I either look at it as a an overlapping Venn diagram, or you can look at it as a three-legged stool where you have that that first thing is that that feeling, that feeling in your gut, that pit of your stomach, kind of the physical manifestation of whatever your response is to what's going on. And then what's the emotion that follows that? Is it fear? Is it excitement? Is it anger? Is it frustration? Could could be any of these, some combination of them. And then there's the the third piece, which is the, what is your logical thinking part of your head, the the prefrontal cortex? What is that Mm -hmm. telling you? Or what is that? How is that framing up this issue? And I find the best responses, the best leaders are able to bring all those together. So they're not ignoring their intuition. They're using it as a signal of something and saying, I I need to pay attention to this because my gut's saying something. Now I need to understand the emotions that I'm that, that are around this either for me or for my teams or for my customers or for my donors or for my shareholders whoever it might be and then let's think through who do we need to work on this and that but that takes a lot of 
discipline. It takes a lot of vulnerability. So for a leader, that's often people look to them and say, what should we do? And there's always this, I tend to say a great American uh, picture of the decisive leader. Like this is exactly yes. what we're going to do. <laughs> I guess I don't know if that's truly an Americanism or if that is more uh, broadly, broadly thought of worldwide in terms of like the, the decisive leader, always setting the direction, always having the answer. So it, you know, it takes a certain amount of humility, of vulnerability, and confidence to be able to bring all three of those elements into decision making or responding to a to a crisis or to a challenge. Yeah, that's a great insight around being judicious of using your intuition as a signal for okay, something's up here, <laughs> something feels off, or something feels different. Then tapping into okay, what's What's going on emotionally for me? What am I feeling right now? And so you can dig into, is this something about me? Is this something I'm seeing in my team? Or is there something something deeper here that we need more information about? And then you go to the information piece and bring that in. Uh, the thing I'd add to that that I think is important for leaders to consider, and you've brought this up already, it's around time, right? Knowing that going through that cycle for every decision can be very time consuming. Yeah. So how do we know when to spend the time and how do we know when to just say, I feel a little uncomfortable, but I'm going to let this go. And the two things I always like to ask leaders to consider are one, what's the impact of this decision? If the impact is relatively minimal, let it go, delegate it, get it off your plate. You shouldn't have been ruminating on this decision in the first place. If the decision, and then the second is risk. How risky is this? If the range of answers is zero to 100 and zero is no risk, 100 is a little bit of risk, let it go. <laughs> it's probably yeah. not that important for you to be spinning your wheels on it. However, if it's high impact, high risk, spend the time it's spot on i couldn't agree more i think i think the challenge or maybe the trap that leaders fall in is it's maybe not having a couple traps you can fall into is one there was some experience in their background or the past or a colleague had where they saw it went south it just mm -hmm. things did not work they, they spiraled um kind of a cascade effect where one mistake led to bigger mistakes and so they may make that leap to this is the risk is really high when I think what you're framing up is, is it, is it really that high? Are there people you can pull in quickly to say, what's, what's the risk of this? Who's the, who's in the best place to make a quick decision on this? Or do we need to get a team together to really consider this? I think the second challenge was with, with that approach is if I go back to the EQ and, and kind of the, the emotions that you feel. So for me, if I'm feeling fear, often I, I I don't have enough information to make a quick decision. And our our ancestors who had to make decisions about tigers in the grass, so they're always going to invent the worst case narrative, right? Yes. And, and, and they do this because <laughs> it makes sense. Like from, a, from an evolutionary perspective, this is absolutely, this is what allowed us to survive is if we assume there is a tiger in that grass, then the worst outcome of that is there's a tiger in the grass and I get eaten. But at least I'll be ready to try to run, to fight or whatever. 
The best outcome of that is I prepare for a tiger in the grass and there is no tiger in the grass. Great. The worst of the, 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 the only thing I lost from that was just being a little bit on a heightened alert, but I came through the other side okay, versus if there is a tiger in the grass, at least I have a fighting chance to make it through because I'm ready to, to run, to fight, to whatever. So if we get into those situations where we talk about, like, should I be making this decision? What is that risk? If we have uh, less information, we tend to inflate that risk. And that's always, I think you asked a great question is, and this is where experience and wisdom and I think getting multiple perspectives comes into play is that, do I have a good enough understanding of that risk to say, you know, there is a remote chance this could be something bad, but if that happens, we'll be able to reconvene and, and take, an, take another look at this. But likely that that worst outcome is, eh, it, it'll be okay. And this person actually has better information and therefore can better assess the risk. So I'm going to delegate to them and then say, if you have, if you have questions, you have concerns, pull us in, pull me in. Um, I think one of the things that really can make that effective is if you have a really high trust. I'm, I'm talking about executive teams now, but it could be any team. But if you have a really high trust, high conflict team, meaning they're willing to say, Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, you're being really dismissive of this risk. I see these six things that are really bad that could result from this that aren't that remote. And you sit there and you have a, a I don't I could say heated discussion, but you sit there and have a very robust discussion and get those perspectives. You have to have a, a safe environment, psychologically safe. You have to have a high trust team. You have to have a team that is used to navigating through conflict and, and conflict around ideas and issues and approaches, not interpersonal conflict, although that inevitably seems to to bleed into it as well. And so I think that's, you know, when you're a leader, that is what you should seek to build in your teams. Uh, And at Oregon Humane Society, when as the COO, I'm now the CFO, but that was something that I deliberately set out to do is say, hey, we 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 have an opportunity to build a team here that can work deliberately on how to better navigate conflict, better bring in the different voices and perspectives that may be ones that we tend to dismiss and try to make the best decisions possible, but also have the best people to make those decisions, make those, and then have the rest of the team support them through that. There are a lot of gems in what you just shared. (laughs) (laughs) A few things worth anchoring on or seconding. One, that human nature is going to be that we tend to go to the worst case scenario. And we tend to, in you know, periods of uncertainty, over-index on what could go wrong. And for most of us, that's not something that will ever change. We're hardwired. Yes. As biological mm-hmm. humans, we are hardwired, which is why we survive. So you're absolutely right. So being able to think critically in advance of a, of a stressful situation about what are the systems? What are the practices? What are the norms that I need to put in place to make sure that we can be successful in spite of that tendency so that we don't tend to get bogged down by what could go wrong, start spinning in that cycle. And as I see a lot of leadership teams doing, spending too much time worrying about the tiger in the grass that's not there. Yeah, and too much time holding on to decision making because they're scared to delegate ownership. I think that's absolutely right. May, may I add something into there? Oh, please do. Yeah. So I, you're, you're 
you're so spot on with that and talking about how leadership teams work together and the fluidity of roles and who's on point. And, and yes, you always have the, the, the CEO or the executive director, whoever it may be, who sometimes ultimately has to make the call, but how do they foster an environment where the teams have that freedom to explore? And I think the thing that I've learned the most is that you can't start with the worst, with the worst problems facing the organization. Meaning it's, it's, it's like training for an athletic event. You're not going to go out and do an Ironman without training. So you start yeah. really small and say, I'm going to build up the capability and capacity for my body and my mind to be able to do this. So for a team that's learning how to navigate conflict, learning how to make better decisions, don't start with the, the company betting decision as like, okay, I'm going to create a safe environment. We're going to have conflict around us. We're going to make the best decisions. Like, no, maybe start with something where the stakes are less high. So they have the opportunity to make mistakes, opportunity to learn and grow as a team to say, let's talk about how we came to that decision and the outcomes and see how we can do this better next time. And that, I think that is, people miss that step of you can't just go, you can't just make that switch. You have to start to practice. You have to try it on. You have to get comfortable. You, you have to, you have to fail. Mm-hmm. This didn't work. But these three things did. How do we pull those forward, but address this other thing? So I, I just, yeah, that when you were framing that up, I think that's what first came to mind. You're absolutely right. And in thinking critically to our point about advanced preparation, about how we create the conditions for success in our leadership team and your point around being thoughtful about how we create norms around communication intellectual debate, challenging of the status quo. We want to do those in circumstances that are relatively low stress and relatively low risk to start so that we can practice and be vulnerable in a space where our kind of spidey, <laughs> spidey senses aren't tingling already. And a couple of things I'd recommend there, which I think tie back into our earlier conversation are one, don't wait to talk about risk until you're in a challenging situation. Talk about risk when you're in the strategy room. You should be thinking about, okay, if we're going to go, if we think the world might look like this, what are the areas of uncertainty? If we go here or here, what are the risks that might emerge? And talk about it then, before the risk is here, when it feels safe and comfortable to do so. Talk about what are the risks? What are their possible impacts? What are the threshold values we need to pay attention to? And what are the choices we have available to us to mitigate risk now? And use that as a testing ground for how how good are we at being able to engage in healthy debate? How comfortable are we challenging? If I'm the CFO, how comfortable am I challenging the CHRO? and saying, I see a risk in your department. Can we talk about that? Because that, to your point, that ability to be able to be, to not just wear our hat of our department, but to be able to really say the leadership team is my first team. I think what you're highlighting is why being a leader is so difficult. Nothing that we are talking about today is easy. Being a leader, (laughs) being a power leader, this is hard stuff. There's no magic book. There's no unlock. It takes a lot of deliberate work and it's not linear. 
we fall back, we fall down. And I think that concept of first team from Lencioni, I, I think is, is where you're grabbing that. And I love that. Um, I love his work. And I think the challenge that a lot of people, particularly as they're as they may be making the move from a director or, or you know a leader of a team to a leader of an organization to an executive level, that is a really, really challenging concept to grasp, even harder to put into practice. When you think about that from a practical perspective, you spend the most time with your team. So mm-hmm. if I'm the CFO of Oregon Humane Society, the team I spend the majority of my week with is the finance team. So when I get into a room with a bunch of other executives, the idea that I am not advocating for my team and my resources and what I need, it's it's almost like there's an expectation from your from your teams and your departments and the organization. Like, of course, everyone advocates for the team. You get in. And I think the 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 flaw with that is usually the loudest voice carries the most weight or the most influential person or the CEO has a favorite a group that they like working with, whatever it might be, to once I step into that executive team room, that executive team meeting, I am a leader of the organization. I happen to lead this function, but I lead this function in service to how to make the organization successful. So an example for me now, as the chief financial officer for Oregon Humane Society, when I stepped into a room, when I stepped into an executive team meeting, I picture finance as a service group that is enabling the organization to do its mission. So as I listen to our VP of operations or our chief medical officer or or even our fundraisers, listen for what they are doing that that is for the best interest for the organization so that we can continue to serve the public and and really execute our mission. And everything that I sign up for, agree to, or challenge should be centered on that. So to your point, if I need to challenge the chief people officer of something they're doing because there's a risk, it's not from a risk to my group. It needs to be from a risk to the organization, to mm-hmm. our strategy, and to our mission. And and that is so hard to do. And you don't just flip a switch. You have no. to practice this. And you have to you have to be open to that questioning yourself of, am I coming at this from the right perspective in terms of what's best for the organization? And that that's why it's so hard because then you go back to your 40 out of your 50 hours a week with your finance team and you have to look at them and say, we're going to do this, which is really inconvenient for us. It's a lot more work. However, it's going to enable the organization to do these six things. And that that is really hard to do. Yeah, it's it's a mindset change, right? I mean, yeah. when I work with leadership teams as a whole, we spend the first portion of our time together talking about mindset. And that's why we talk about mindset around what's the mindset I bring to work? Mm-hmm. How do I do self-leadership? And then we talk about what's the mindset I bring to my team? What's the hat I'm wearing? And then we talk about what's our collective mindset as a group. And it's exactly to the point you just made, which is I can't be thinking first about risk or strategy in the context of what's the impact on finance. I've got to be thinking about it. What's the impact on the organization? And in addition to that, the other big uh, unlocks I've seen that I've often coached leadership teams around is the importance of aligning your incentives with 
the behavior you want to see. So I often see that type of territorial behavior happening when you have financial incentives that are tied to team performance for leaders above organizational performance. I'm curious how how you might have seen that play out either in your current work or in your work when you were consulting. Yeah, I, I think everything you've talked about is is exactly what I've seen. And what I found is that those leaders that are able to separate themselves and look at the look at challenges from a perspective of the organization. And, and there are quite a few that you find where they can separate out and say, this is going to be a little bit painful for a team, or I'm willing to give up this resource because I can see you're going to be able to do so much more with this headcount than I can, and I can get by for another year, or I can get by if I can get a part-time person. And what I've seen is when you have, it's not even the entire team, but when you have some some people in a leadership team meeting that have that perspective, it can actually open things up. And I think having those few individuals can really set the tone. Um, so that's what I've seen where I, and and I've become more sensitive to those folks, not always at the executive team level either, that if you have them in room, in the room with you, things go better. And it's not something maybe explicit they're doing. It is more that approach and that mindset where they're going to challenge and they challenge in a very respectful way others to say, well, help me understand what this gets us or help me understand if you get that, what does that do to our, our mission? What does that do to this? And we'll also be the first people to say, you know what? It is more important we invest here than in my team. Let's We'll figure out a way to do it, but let's make sure this resource is there. And that can change the whole tone. And I've really, really been opening my eyes to at any level of the organization, you can get someone that demonstrates those capabilities. And as a leader, it's our responsibility to find those gems, polish them and get and help promote them, help to develop and grow them because those are the people that eventually are going to lead the organization, you hope. Yeah. All right. We are going to press pause on part one of our conversation with Brian August of the Oregon Humane Society. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope you will stay tuned and join us for part two of the episode, which is out now and available wherever you receive your podcasts. In part two, Brian and I discuss a few really important topics, including how to grow and develop yourself as a leader, how to build a culture of feedback within your organization, and several of Brian's most important leadership insights from his time competing in Ironman triathlons. It's really an episode not to be missed. I hope you'll join me there in part two. And if you're looking for support in dramatically improving your leadership, life, and impact with confidence, ease, and joy, please go find me on my website, opastrategy.com, O-P-A strategy.com. And you can find Brian if you'd like to reach out to him at his LinkedIn. His contact information is in the show notes. And please, if you enjoyed this show, share it with two of your friends and also click to subscribe. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day.